This is The Guardian. Hi, Laura Mafiotes here, one of the hosts of Full Story. Today, instead of our usual newsroom edition of Full Story, we have a special episode of Guardian Australia's Ben Robert Smith versus the Media podcast. It follows the final federal court judgment, which was released on Monday. Okay, here's the show. You're about to hear evidence as set in court and as written by the judge presiding over the Ben Robert Smith defamation trial, read by voice actors. This evidence has been edited in some respects for time and for ease of listening, but remains an accurate representation of those sections of the trial. And this episode does contain descriptions of conflict and strong language that some listeners may find distressing. Please listen with care. This defamation case was always about the reputation of just one man. I felt betrayed and humiliated. And I say humiliated because everything that I had ever cared about was serving my country with distinction and honour and my friends and my unit. And in the space of a couple of articles, it felt like that was being taken away from us. The reputation of a man once venerated as almost the living, modern embodiment of Australia's Anzac legend. The fact that they say it's a hero's facade, a picture of me as stone just flaking away with bullet cracks because all I did was serve my country, that's it. With a reputation so great, his lawyers argued his military accomplishments made his public reputation almost unimpeachable. From 2018 till the current day, my life has changed dramatically. I would say at some point my life has been, well, at that point, I should say my life has been ruined. But after a year-long defamation trial, the judge presiding over this case, Justice Anthony Basanko, offered a withering condemnation of that man. There are three proceedings before the court. They have been heard together. The applicant in each proceeding is Mr Ben Robert Smith, VCMG. This is not a court recording. This is a voice actor reading lines from Justice Basanko's final written judgment. The respondents have established the substantial truth of imputations 1, 2 and 3. Tucked away at the bottom of more than 600 pages of judgment, Justice Anthony Basanko makes the unadorned point. From the exalted pedestal Ben Robert Smith once occupied, few have ever had so far to fall and fewer still have fallen entirely by their own hand to such depths. Previously on this podcast... You heard that Ben Robert Smith, Australia's most decorated living soldier, sued three newspapers, The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald and The Canberra Times, for defamation in the federal court over a series of articles he claimed falsely portrayed him as a war criminal, accusing him of murdering unarmed civilians in Afghanistan and of an act of domestic violence. 
The newspapers defended their reporting by journalists Nick McKenzie, Chris Masters and David Rowe as true. Robert Smith has always denied all wrongdoing. From Guardian Australia, this is Ben Robert Smith versus the media. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Justice Pasanko's judgment is a civil decision. He found on the balance of probabilities that in a desperate attempt to protect the heroic myth that surrounded him, Ben Robert Smith gave false evidence, evidence he knew to be untrue, under oath in the federal court and that he embarked on a campaign of misinformation and of lies, that he deliberately hid potentially damaging evidence, he colluded with witnesses who supported him, and he threatened those who might give evidence against him. The applicant has motive to lie, being a financial motive to support his claim for damages in these proceedings, a motive to restore his reputation, which he contends has been destroyed by the publication of the articles. And significantly, In the witness box, Robert Smith said he'd never acted outside the laws of war or harmed civilians. Those who accused him, he said, were motivated by jealousy of his decorations and fame. The judge did not agree. I have difficulty accepting the applicant's evidence on any disputed issue. Basanko found that Ben Robert Smith was a murderer. He killed civilians in Afghanistan while wearing an Australian army uniform. These killings did not occur within the rules of engagement. They could not be attributed to the fog of war. They were not the difficult job of a soldier, the application of lethal force to take an enemy life. These were murder. The judgment found that during a mission to the southern Afghan village of Darwan, Ben Robert Smith killed an unarmed, handcuffed man named Ali Jan. Robert Smith told the court the man he killed in Darwan was a legitimate target, an enemy killed in action. But Justice Pasanko found Robert Smith was deliberately dishonest about how the man died. Look, brother, I am a witness. I am not afraid of anybody. Even if I die, I will tell the truth. Pasanko believed three Afghan villagers who testified against the man they knew only as the big soldier. He said they were credible witnesses who came to court and told the truth. You know, this is the Pashto customs. It is the tradition. And this is the law. If you witness something like a crime, you have to testify about it. 
the judge found that Robert Smith marched a handcuffed Alijan to stand above a 10-metre high cliff that dropped to a dry riverbed below. I saw, I saw Alijan. Alijan's hands were tied up and they made him stand up. Alijan was facing the soldier and then the soldier kicked him and he went down. Robert Smith then walked forward and kicked the man in the chest so hard that he fell backwards over the precipice. Ali Jans was kicked. The soldier kicked him not with the sole of his feet, rather with the, the toes. Then, at this time, I really got scared. I lowered my head. Ali Jan survived the fall, but he was badly injured. He was rolling down, rolling down until he reached the river. The soldier was looking at him. He was standing there and, and looking at him. Australian soldiers dragged him into a nearby cornfield. Robert Smith then ordered a subordinate soldier, a trooper under his command, known to the court as Person 11, to shoot Ali Jan dead. The order was obeyed. So we went towards the buried trees and we found Ali Jan's body in the corner field. He was lying down on his back and a bullet shot at his jaw. There was a bullet on his chest and also there were bullets or shots on his arm. After a careful consideration of the evidence, this is the version of events Pasanko found to be true. Person 11 shot Ali Jan, who at that point was standing and still handcuffed. These findings lead to the conclusion that the applicant murdered Ali Jan. On another mission, three years earlier, in the village of Kakarak in 2009, Australian SAS forces raided a compound known as Whiskey 108, shortly after it had been bombed. Kakarak in southern Afghanistan was a known Taliban stronghold. I came out of the entry point, I turned right, started to walk down that track, and when I did that, I saw an insurgent moving from right to left on the outside of the line of the compound and just coming around. Robert Smith told the court that during that mission, he shot and killed a man he discovered running outside the Whiskey 108 compound. The man was carrying a weapon and had a prosthetic leg. The individual that I saw was actually running in a crouch and was holding a bolt-action rifle in his hand. And Robert Smith told the court another Australian soldier, unknown to him to this day, had shot another man, an elderly Afghan, and saved Robert Smith's life. Do I have a recollection of the individual during that engagement who fired? And the answer to that question is no, I don't. But Justice Basenko outright rejected these claims. He said they were highly improbable and that the only person who could corroborate the version of events that Ben Robert Smith put before the court was neither an honest nor a reliable witness. Instead, Basenko believed a soldier known as Person 41 RS then walked down and grabbed the Afghan male by the scruff of the shirt, picked him up, marched him a couple of metres forward to... uh, uh, He was in front of person four. The judge found that what actually happened was that the two men, the old man and the man with the prosthetic leg, were found hiding in a secret tunnel inside the compound. The men were brought out of the tunnel unarmed and they surrendered to the Australian troops. He then kicked him in the back of the legs behind the knees until he was kneeling down 
in front of person four. He pointed to the Afghan and said to person four, shoot him. And so it was done. Robert Smith then manhandled the man with a prosthetic leg outside the compound. I turned to face RS to see what was happening. Um, He then proceeded to throw the Afghan male down onto the ground. Uh, Afghan male landed on his back. RS then reached down, grabbed him by his shoulder, flipped him over onto his stomach, and then I observed him lower his machine gun and shoot approximately three to five rounds into the back of the Afghan male. After he had done that, he he looked up and saw me standing there and he looked at me and said, are we all cool? Are we all good? Um, I just replied, yeah, no worries. Justice Basanko said Robert Smith's account and his denials were further lies. Justice Basanko found that Robert Smith and his witnesses not only lied about their actions on the battlefield, but were actively communicating with each other about what they would tell the court regarding their actions in Afghanistan. In the lead-up to the trial, Robert Smith sought to intimidate those soldiers he thought might give evidence against him, while colluding with those he believed he could rely on to honour his misguided code of silence. Robert Smith, the applicant, was speaking to his friends, using encrypted apps on burner phones. He was speaking to them about articles in the media, and I find that he was also speaking to them about the allegations of war crimes. Robert Smith even went so far as to send an anonymous, threatening letter to one soldier at the SAS barracks, warning him to recant his evidence to a Defence Force inquiry into war crimes. I received it at around midday on the 12th of June at the squadron pigeonholes. The soldier was known before the court as Person 18. And in the letter, Robert Smith threatened to accuse him of murder. The letter stated words to the effect of, you and others have colluded to tell lies to the media and for the inquiry. It went on, saying, We are very aware of your murderous actions over many tours in Afghanistan and we have specific mission details, dates and witnesses who are now willing to expose you to the authorities so you are criminally investigated. The court's judgment also found that Robert Smith's campaign of intimidation, of threats and lies didn't stop with his comrades. I first met Ben on Friday the 13th of October 2017. I met him at a charity lunch that I attended with my husband. But extended, perhaps even more perniciously, to the woman with whom he was having an extramarital affair, known to the court as Person 17. Uh, and I was out on the dance floor with some friends and I saw him watching me. And later, when I went to the bar, he started talking to me and we just started flirting and talking to each other. The judge found that Robert Smith's behaviour towards Person 17 was intimidatory, threatening and controlling. He said to me, as long as we're on the same page, you've got nothing to worry about. But if you do anything stupid or turn on me, I'll burn your house down and it might not be you that gets hurt. But people that you love and care about. 
He found that Robert Smith had Person 17 followed and surveilled on film by a private investigator. He took photographs of her naked while she slept and he explicitly threatened her when she woke up. He said, do I need to keep these photos? I just didn't say anything. Robert Smith told the court Person 17 was a fantasist and these things never happened. In conclusion, I do not accept the applicant's evidence. The judge, however, did not accept all of Person 17's evidence. There was a story about being threatened on a beach by an anonymous man and evidence about the reasons she first contacted journalist Nick McKenzie, which Pasanko did not find to be substantially true. Nevertheless, I must be satisfied on the balance of probabilities having regard to the criminal conduct alleged that person 17's evidence is reliable and should be accepted. And because he found some aspects of her evidence unreliable, the judge said he could not be satisfied on the balance of probabilities that Robert Smith had, in fact, assaulted person 17 by punching her in a Canberra hotel room. Even though Basanko believed the threatening and intimidating behaviour had happened and that overall he believed Person 17 more than he believed Robert Smith, the high bar of substantial truth meant the judge did not have enough evidence to find Person 17's and the newspaper's allegation of assault was true. The verdict was more comprehensive more overwhelming than almost anyone expected. Robert Smith walked away from court with nothing, his application dismissed in its entirety. The judge found the offences that were proven against him were so grievous, so serious, that the other allegations that weren't proved, such as the domestic assault, did no further harm to his reputation. He was on the balance of probabilities, a war criminal and a murderer. We'll be back after this. Laura Maffiotz here, one of the hosts of Full Story. It's Guardian Australia's 10th birthday, and to celebrate, we're hosting a special live recording of Full Story at Vivid Sydney in June. We'll be talking about Australia's natural environment and how to save it. I'll be joined by a panel of special guests, including Independent Senator for the ACT, David Pocock, Dr Dennis Rose, a Gunachamara traditional owner and conservation expert, national co-convener of the Labor Environment Action Network, Felicity Wade, and Guardian Australia's own environment editor, Adam Morton. The event is in Sydney, and you can buy tickets on the Vivid Sydney website right now. Just search for Full Story. Okay, we really hope to see you there. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Justice Pasenko's judgment is long, really long. This is an exhaustive account of what was a massive, sprawling, complex trial. And as you read through this massive document, the second thing that begins to emerge is that it is so overwhelmingly in favour of the newspapers. You know, someone had to be lying in this case. This is Matt Collins, King's Counsel. He's a barrister and defamation law expert. We heard from Collins earlier on this podcast. I've acted both for plaintiffs and for defendants, and I should say quite regularly for the defendants in this case, although I had no part in this particular trial. Reading Justice Pasanko's judgment in its entirety, it's impossible to say he came to his conclusions lightly. When Justice Pazanko said that he found the first of the alleged murders to have been proved to the civil standard, in a real sense, it was game over for Ben Robert Smith's reputation. Whatever happened from that moment onwards, his reputation was in tatters and would never recover because he'd been found by a judge of the federal court, albeit to the civil standard, to have committed um, a, a murder on a foreign battleground. The first feeling was one of overwhelming relief. It was, it could, it could have gone either way. And to see it go so definitively in favour of the media outlets was just an overwhelming sense of relief. And that was because if it had gone the other way, I think the consequences for investigative journalism would have been dire. This is Leslie Power. I'm the CEO of the Alliance for Journalist Freedom. Prior to that, I was the general counsel at SBS for 20 years. And before that, I worked at the in-house legal team at the ABC. Power says while the findings are comprehensively in favour of the newspapers, it is, in a lot of ways, a conservative judgment. It was a very careful and thorough judgment. And those instances where he found substantial truth achieved, there were multiple witnesses. Justice Basanko hasn't found the newspapers proved those elements of this case for which he doesn't have strong, corroborated evidence. And you can see this conservatism perhaps most clearly in Basanko's finding around the alleged act of domestic violence that the newspapers claimed that Ben Robert Smith had committed in a Canberra hotel room in 2018. One of the concerns is that where allegations are of a nature where there's only one witness, we all know that's going to be a very difficult case to substantiate. Great example of that is all of the Me Too reporting. There you've often got circumstances where by its nature, there's no eyewitnesses. It's one person against another. And then you get involved in that exercise of trying to assess who is the more credible witness. Basanko hasn't found proven this allegation of domestic violence, despite stating bluntly that Robert Smith's evidence was self-serving was dishonest and that he preferred Person 17's evidence to his. One thing that Person 17 
might be able to take comfort from is that there was no damning finding that she was an unreliable witness. It was merely a finding that he wasn't satisfied to the required standard. One question which still surrounds this case is, will this judgment survive an appeal? Power says only time will tell. But with an appeal in mind, Justice Basanko didn't go further than he needed to in this decision. All judges try to appeal-proof their judgments. But in this case, Basanko didn't have to be bold. He didn't have to go in and take a risk to rely on the testimony of just one witness because of the defence of contextual truth. Meaning Justice Basanko was so satisfied with the evidence he had before him that Ben Robert Smith had committed four murders while serving in Afghanistan and that the gravity of those offences, the seriousness of those so overwhelmed the rest of the case that those allegations that weren't proven didn't damage his reputation any further. That just showed how powerful that was. So if it had been a different circumstance and contextual truth wasn't available, if the allegations of Darwin and Whiskey 108 weren't there with all that super strong evidence to back it up, well, who knows what the judge would have done. But in doing this, Power argues Basanko set a very high bar on the evidence you need in court to defend your journalism as true. So in terms of the potential chilling effect on future investigative journalism and the legal advice that's provided by the lawyers, we're going to be thinking, oh, my God, if we don't have multiple eyewitnesses, can we reach the standard of substantial truth? And so lawyers and journalists know at the time that you're preparing a story, the demands on you to produce that evidence is, is high. That can end up meaning that some stories are just too risky to publish within the risk appetite of the particular publishers. Despite the comprehensive nature of this judgment, an appeal is still likely. But an appeal is not the only outstanding matter hanging over Ben Robert Smith and his legal team. Robert Smith may yet face criminal charges over his actions in Afghanistan. The lies told by Robert Smith, which we've outlined in this podcast, were found by Justice Basanko to be primarily about protecting the VC winner's reputation, restoring that once glittering public image. But Basanko also found these lies were motivated in part by a desire to stall any potential further action from being taken against him. A motive to restore his reputation, which he contends has been destroyed by the publication of the articles, and significantly, a motive to resist findings against him, which may affect whether further action is taken against him. The allusion here from the judge to further action is a reference to those looming criminal charges. We know from this trial that Robert Smith has been the subject of investigation by the Inspector General of the Australian Defence Force, the Brereton Inquiry into allegations of war crimes in Afghanistan. And we know too, because we've heard it in other court proceedings, that Robert Smith has been told by the Australian Federal Police that he's the subject of their ongoing investigation into allegations of war crimes, and that the government's office of the special investigator is investigating between 40 and 50 alleged war crimes committed by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan. This criminal aspect has been running separate but parallel to this defamation trial. It's been hovering in the background, ever present, but also never there. 
One of the odd things about this case was, although it was a defamation case, you could be forgiven for thinking it was a war crimes trial, and, and it wasn't. Matt Collins says this was a defamation trial masquerading as a war crimes tribunal, and that despite allegations of war crimes and accusations of guilt playing out in the media, it's important to remember. Ben Robert Smith has not been charged with anything and he's not been convicted of anything. So um, he, he's, he's still entitled to the presumption of innocence in the criminal law. But despite Ben Robert Smith being neither charged nor criminally convicted, Basanko's judgment is still significant. But he has been found after a vigorously contested trial by a judge of the Federal Court of Australia, albeit to the civil standard, of having committed murder, war crimes and having disgraced his country. That can't be swept aside. The next day, when I saw all those headlines describing Ben Robert Smith as a murderer, saying he was a criminal, I had very complicated feelings. One of the feelings that I had was of tremendous sadness. Sadness that Australia's, you know, sort of military endeavours had been brought to such an end. Um, And just thinking of the horror of the events that were disclosed and the ugliness of it, all of that stuff, it just brought home to me that the theatre of war is like a tragic and profound experience. The feeling of a lot of people around this case is not, oh, great, you know, wrongdoing has been exposed. It's actually been anger from some parts of the community that our icons have been held up. Like, the whole idea of the Anzac tradition is so precious to Australia's sense of identity. And to hear that one of our most decorated war heroes actually doesn't live up to everything in that tradition, that has a profound impact. I think it's really important to remember that for all of his decorations, all of his fame, that Ben Robert Smith was one man, one soldier. And there were thousands of Australians who served in Australia's longest ever war in Afghanistan and did so nobly, did so honourably and prosecuted a righteous cause in a dangerous, difficult, often ill-defined war. It needs to be remembered too that the original whistleblowers of these offences were other members of the SAS, comrades who saw what was happening and said, this is not right, this is not who we are. And that's a hard thing to do, an incredibly hard thing to do, to stand up against your mates, the people you've served alongside, the people you formed an incredibly intense bond with, to say no, to say that's wrong. Those men and those women are to be commended. And I think the final point is the broader institutional question. And that's yet to be addressed. A judge has found that Ben Robert Smith did these things. He murdered, he bullied, and he lied. But this was a man who we, as a community, revered, venerated. We pinned medals to his chest and said, this man is a hero. What does that say about the systems and the structures around him that enabled him not only to survive, but to thrive, to flourish, to be celebrated? There's the question of command responsibility here. How high up the military's 
very rigid, very hierarchical chain of command does responsibility for these wrongdoings lie? There are very real questions to be asked around the command responsibility of senior officers and of the more distant decision makers, the ministers, the prime ministers, who repeatedly sent the same small cohort of soldiers to the front lines of a dangerous, damaging war, fighting an enemy who cared not for those rules that we hold our soldiers accountable to. An enemy that melted back into the mountains each winter and re-emerged each spring fighting season. Australia's fighting season in Afghanistan is over and defeat, withdrawal was awful. But the questions remain and they will linger yet. You can listen to all of our previous episodes about the trial by searching Ben Robert Smith versus the media in your podcast app. This episode was reported by me, Ben Doherty, produced by Miles Herbert, Camilla Hannan and Alison Chan. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannan. Additional production assistance from Daniel Simo and Karishma Luthria. The voice actors you heard from were Jason Chong as Ben Robert Smith, Michael Wade as Justice Anthony Basanko, Ferdas Adelpour as Muhammad Hanifa, Faradullah Mohibi as Shahzada, Don Mallard as Person 41, Chris Huntley-Turner as Person 18, Early Dodds as Person 17, and Colin Smith as Nicholas Owens. Executive produced by Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.